We left off, I believe, on Eid prayer. Um, so we'll read from this, inshallah, for uh, for the Eid prayer. section so it says وفي البيت قبلها ووقتها من ارتفاع الشمس قدر الرمح إلى زوانها فإن حصل عدو عذر تؤخر إلى الغد. So we'll stop there. He says رضي الله عنه the two Eid prayers are mandatory, wajib, on the one for whom the Friday prayer is obligatory fard, with its same conditions except for the khutbah, the sermon, which is sunnah for them. As opposed to the Friday prayer, um, the Friday prayer obviously the khutbah is before the salat, and it's required. And in Eid, the khutbah is after the salat, and it is uh, sunnah. Although, as we've noticed, um, <coughs> there's heavy blame for leaving a sunnah. It's not like. Um, the Eid prayer would be valid, but they would be blameworthy for having left that sunnah. Um, on the day of uh, same conditions of sunnah, on the day of fitr, it is recommended mustahab uh, to eat an odd number of dates or something else sweet, perform ghusl, apply scent, use the tooth stick siwak, wear one's finest clothes, and pay the charity of the end of Ramadan. Sadaqat al-Fitr Based on one's ability Before leaving the prayer area Before leaving the prayer area (coughs) 
says in the footnote, this charity is actually mandatory. Sadaqat al-fitr is actually wajib. It's mandatory. What is sunnah is to give it as well as to do all of the above, including eating something, before leaving for the prayer area. Before leaving for the prayer area. And not leaving the prayer area. For the prayer area. I apologize. Um, so, to do all of these sunnah are things that are recommended to do before we leave for the prayer itself. However, that sadaqat al-fitr itself is wajib. Um, he mentions, for example, today many Muslims give this charity at the prayer area itself before the prayer, which is also valid. So to give it at Salat and Eid before the actual Salat, that's also valid. But the Sunnah is to give it out earlier before that. Most of the Masajid, uh, as a side point, most of the Masajid will be asking for this far before. Um, this is not actually a section on Sadaqat al-Eid, I don't think, but Urtfit. Uh, but most of them will be asking for it far before the day of Eid. There's other opinions in other schools that allow that, and uh, that's okay to do, and actually you should do. Um, you know, when you have like something that affects the community, that's uh, a very reasonable time to take another position outside the position of your method. So, for example, in if the idea behind Sadaqat al-Fitr is that it's distributed for the day of Eid. So in these kind of like old societies and stuff, you could go pray Fajr and walk home after Fajr to get your family ready for Eid or whatever in that half an hour that you have and very easily find um, people that you can give that uh, sadaqah to. So then... Uh, You can find people to give that charity to. Um, whereas the... Um, like now, if people are going to give that charity, then they really need to um, have some like head some advance time on that. So like the Masajid, we have to go and we have to find who's, uh, who's eligible and distribute it to them and so on and so forth. All of that takes time. And if you're doing that on behalf of a thousand people it's very hard to do that like one day before so actually what <coughs> when I was in the mes when I was an imam what we used to tell what I used to tell the people and you know it took some educating but they were fine with it is I told them that uh, if they would like us at the masjid to distribute their sadaqat and fitr for them then they need to give it to us I forget what we said we gave like a cut off time of I think before the last 10 days of Ramadan. Uh, I forget exactly what the cutoff was. But basically we said we set a cutoff. And I told the people that look like, you know, the masjid distributing your sadaqat al-fitr for you is uh, basically a service that the masjid is doing on your behalf. Masjid is not required to do that. It's a service that the masjid is doing on your behalf and you're giving your sadaqat al-fitr, but it's your individual obligation. So, if you want to um, ask us to dispose to distribute your personal obligation on your behalf, then the condition is that you give it to us with enough time for us to be able to reasonably do that. 
and and uh, you know alhamdulillah with some education people were totally fine with that and then uh, we just announced it for the whole of the month of Ramadan and at some point we said look there's only one or two days left if you don't get it in you're going to have to find out yourself and we gave them some options you talk to this this group that group whatever but the point is uh, if there's things like that then that's not the time to like be super rigid about one's madhab if you want to be rigid then do it on your own uh, <coughs> distribute it yourself right figure out who you can distribute to and distribute it yourself uh, one should head out walking silently uh, which is opposed to the takbirs of Eid al-Adha they silently reciting the takbirs until the beginning of the Eid prayer so in Eid al-Adha one does the takbirat out loud Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar La ilaha illallah Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Alhamd they do that out loud but on Eid al-Fitr they say the takbirat to themselves and they head out to the Salah and they should ideally return back home from a different route um, just reminding me subhanAllah that one year I don't know how that really happened but um, one year I don't know when that was maybe two three years ago um, I went to Chicago for Eid prayer and um, the idea was like, let me see if I can do a Eid prayer with Dr. Omar, and you know maybe I can, you know, see if I can drive him or something like that. So Alhamdulillah, it worked out that I was able to drive him to and from Eid prayer. Um, I believe that was the time that I had breakfast with some other really nice brothers, one of whom is on here, um, and. Uh, one thing that Dr. Omar did when we were driving was that we drove there on one route and he gave the khutbah and he did whatever. And we drove back and uh, he took a, he, he told me to take a different route. Like he, the way he directed me to drive was different than the way that we had came. Uh, and he didn't like make any sort of show about it. He didn't even say like, um, you know, I'm taking a different route because it's sunnah to take a different route. He didn't say any of that. He just said, you know, I wanted to show you this. <laughs> took, a, took a different route. But now that I'm reading it, I realize that, uh, you know, that was intentional. Hafidhullah. Um, it is this like to pray voluntary prayers in the masjid? Uh, Okay, so we didn't get to that yet. Oh no, we did, yeah. Um, it is dislike to pray voluntary prayers in the masjid, the Eid prayer area, in any case, as well as in one's home before the Eid prayer. So basically the idea here is that one, there's no, like, when you're going to Eid prayer, there's no turaqah that you pray before you go, or you pray even when you get to the masjid. Um... That's just not something that was mashru'ah. Like, that's not something that they did. So that's not part of it. You just go, sit down, and wait for the imam to come out. Um, its time starts after the sun has risen. 
one or two spears length above the horizon, namely after the time period in which prayers are disliked, until midday. If there is a valid excuse, it may be delayed until the following day. Uh, he says in the footnote, by agreement of our scholars, the Eid prayer may be prayed, may be performed in multiple places within one city. Um, in addition, it may be delayed up to midday of the following day, but no later for a valid excuse, such as heavy rain or lack of visibility of the crescent moon. If delayed without an excuse, the prayer is invalid. So it's not just you felt like praying it the next day, but there should be some sort of reason. Okay, then he continues with Kafiyatu Salatiha and Yanwiya Salat al Eid, Wal Muqtadi Yanwi and Mutabata Aidon, Thumma Yakra Ul Imamu Wal Kaumu at Thana, Thumma Yukabiruna Tekbirat as Zawaid, Thalathan, Yarfa'u Yadehi Fikulin Minha, Thumma Yatawad Ul Imam, Thumma Yusami, Sirran, Thumma Yakra Ul Fatiha was Sura, Munudiba and Takuna, Sabihismi Rabbik al Ala, Thumma Yarka, Faida Kama Ilathania, ابتدأ بالتسمية ثم بالفاتحة ثم بسورة غاشية ثم بتكبيرات الزوائد في الركعة الثانية ثلاثا يرفع يديه في كل منها وهذا أولى من تقديم تكبيرات الزوائد في الركعة الثانية على القراءة ثم يخطب خطبتين يعلم فيها أحكام صدقة فطر So let's take this portion. It says, and the way of performing the prayer is the following. One makes the intention of performing the Eid prayer. The follower makes the additional intention of being a follower. So they also intend that they're following the Imam. Then after the opening tahrima, both the Imam and congregation recite the opening supplication, thana, after which they all pronounce three extra takbirs, raising their hands for each one. says in the footnote each takbir is mandatory wajib raising the hands for each takbir and the manner one does for the opening tahrima is sunnah between each takbir one keeps his arms to his sides okay they're only raising for the takbir of Eid and then they put it down next the imam says the ta'awud and the basmalah so in the beginning they do takbirat al-ihram and they do the thana because that's for the beginning of salah. Then they do the takbirat, then they do the ta'awud, a'udhu billahi minash-shaitanir rajeem, bismillahir and the basmalah because those are for the recitation. The imam does those. But the person who's behind them doesn't do those because the imam is doing recitation for them. And then recites the Fatiha and a surah aloud. It is preferred for the surah to be sabbihismi rabbikil ala, surat al-ala. He then bows and finishes the rak'ah like normal. When he stands for the second rak'ah, he begins with the basmala, silently, followed by fatiha and preferably surat al-ghashiyah, both recited out loud. He then performs the three extra takbirs, all of which are mandatory wajib in the second rak'ah, raising his hands for each one. This method is more preferable than performing the extra takbirs of the second rak'ah before the recitation. Both methods are allowed in the footnote. Both methods are allowed. 
as well as adding more takbirs, such as the common method of seven in the first rakah and five in the second rakah. In any case, it is mandatory for the congregation to follow the imam, unless he does more than 16 takbirs total, in which case they remain silent. So what they're indicating here is that there's many different opinions actually in the takbirat of Eid. So, there's, but this is an interesting footnote because essentially what this is saying is that the ideal way is you, you add three takbirat in the first rakah before the um, recitation, in the second rakah after the recitation. That's the standard Hanafi position. However, it's also acceptable to do in the second rakah the three takbirat before the recitation. So you would do three in the beginning of the first, three in the beginning of the second. Um, and those three are the absolute minimum, they're wajib. Uh, however, uh, one can also add more takbirs, like is no, like is seen in some of the other schools where you have seven and five extra, or six and five extra, depending on the school. Um, so theoretically, one can do, uh, like say for example, I'm leading Eid prayer. If I'm leading Eid prayer where I live, then most likely they're accustomed to seven extra takbirat in the first rakah before the reading, qira'ah, and five in the second rakah before the qira'ah. That's not like the preferred position in the madhab, but it's an acceptable thing to do. So I could do that and still actually be praying according to the Hanafi madhab. Um, either way, even if we didn't have that facilitation, even if we didn't have that facilitation, then um, one should still like take a position, pr- pray in a way that's not going to cause some level of discord amongst the people. If people are not accustomed to it or something, then either explain to them if you have enough clout to do that, or if they're just not used to it, they've never seen anything else. And you don't need to be a fitna for them. Um, I asked Sheikh Wali to say it about this as well because I happened to be uh, reading this text with him like right before the time of Eid. I believe it was last year or the year before. And then uh, I, I told him like if I do this way where I'm leading the Eid prayer, it's going to be awkward for people. And he basically said, like, don't make an issue out of it. And he he gave an interesting story of um, someone who was, I forget what it was, like some sort of wakil or assisting position to Sheikh Al-Azhar. And he went to lead Eid prayer in Sa'id in uh, southern Egypt. And in southern Egypt, everyone's Maliki. But he didn't do it the Maliki way. He did it like some other madhab. I forget which one it was. And and the people were like thrown off and confused. And they had never seen it before. And they started like... The newspaper started writing articles about how... This person who's like the assistant to Sheikh Al-Azhar... Doesn't even know how to pray properly. And like turned into this huge mess. Um, 
just because like they um, were too narrow on something that they didn't really need to be so narrow on right um Um, after the prayer the imam delivers two sermons in which he teaches the congregation the rules pertaining to the charity of the end of Ramadan so they say that part of that is that they teach people about that that there is an instruction in the khutbah it's not just uh Motivation, but there's some instruction in it too. This is a description of what the Prophet used to do. It doesn't mean that they have to do that. Um, okay, wa ahkam al adha kal fitri lakinahu yuakhiru al akla an al salat. وَيُكَبِّرُ فِي الطَّرِيقِ جَهْرًا وَيُعَلِّمُ الْأُنْحِيَةِ وَتَكْبِيرُ التَّشْرِيقِ فِي الْخُطْبَةِ وَتُؤَخَّرُ بِعُذْرٍ إِلَى ثَلَاثَةِ أَيَّامٍ وَتَكْبِيرُ التَّشْرِيقِ وَاجِبٌ مِنْ فَجْرِ عَرَفَةٍ إِلَى عَصْرِ النَّحْرِ عِنْدَ الْإِمَامِ بَعْدَ كُلِّ صَلَاةٍ مَفْرُوضَةٍ أُدِّيَتْ بِجَمَاعَةٍ مُسْتَحَبَّةٍ عَلَى إِمَامٍ مُقِيمٍ بِمِصْرٍ وَعَلَى مَنْ اقْتَدَى بِهِ وَقَالَ يَجِبُ وَلَوْ كَانَ مُنْفَرِدًا أَوْ مُسَافِرًا أَوْ قَرَوِيًّا إِلَى عَصْرٍ خَامِسِ مِنْ يَوْمِ عَرَفَةٍ وَبِهِ يُعْمَلٍ وَبِهِ يُعْمَلٍ So the rules of the Adha are similar to those of Fitr with the following exceptions Eating is delayed until after the prayer that is it recommended to eat and after the prayer um, uh, it is not disliked to eat before the prayer but it's kind of like the adab of salat al-eid al-adha that the food is after the prayer because that's what the sahaba used to do um, the, the and the, then the next difference is the takbirs on the way to the prayer as well as at the prayer area are said aloud so the takbirs of salat al-eid are made aloud and the rules of the ritual sacrifice udhiya uh, are as well as the rules of the takbirat of the three days after eid three days of tashriq are taught in the sermon um and they should be done also like in the Friday prayer before that so that because as we're going to see those takbirat of tashriq of Eid they begin from Fajr on the day of Arafah which is the day before Eid so the Jummah before Eid one should teach about that as well um, and this Eid prayer may be delayed up to three days if there is an excuse that is it is valid up to midday on the 12th of Dhul Hijjah, even without an excuse, although in that case the delay would entail doing wrong. 
With a valid excuse, there is no blame. So, the um, valid excuse, there is no blame. So this one, the timing is a little bit more flexible. Okay, um, so what are the days here? We have the day of Arafah, which is the ninth of Dhul Hijjah. We have the first day of Eid, which is the tenth of Dhul Hijjah. We have the second day of Eid, which is the eleventh, and the third day of Eid, which is the twelfth. Then we also have the three days of Tashriq, which are the eleventh, the twelfth, and the thirteenth. So they they're also three days, but they start after the first day of Eid. So Arafah is the ninth. Ten, eleven, twelve are the three days of Eid. Eleven, twelve, thirteen are the three days of Tashriq. Okay, you're gonna see why that matters right now. According to the Imam Abu Hanifa, the takbirs of Tashriq are mandatory, wajib, from Fajr of Arafah until Asr of Nahr. Uh, which is the day of Eid itself, the 10th. After each obligatory prayer performed in congregation, in a congregation that is not disliked on both the imam that is a resident in the city as well as his followers in each congregation. Uh, don't pay too much attention to that other than to recognize that it's there because of this. The two companions, Abu Yusuf and Muhammad, maintain that these takbirs are mandatory on even the one praying alone the traveler and the resident of a village, and that they are to be recited until Asr of the fifth day after the day of Arafah, and this is the opinion that is acted upon. This is what the fatwa is on. So in the footnote he says, this is also the position of the fatwa. It is to be recited from the Fajr, from Fajr of the ninth until Asr of the thirteenth, for a total of 23 prayers. It must be recited once immediately after the obligatory prayer, including the Friday prayer, and if it is the general practice of the Muslims in one's area, the Eid prayer. So sometimes you'll see they'll do it after Eid prayer, sometimes you'll see that they don't. That can go either way, depending on what the practice of the place is. But not after Witr, Sunnah, or voluntary prayers. It must be recited by everyone, male or female, whether praying in congregation or by oneself. Women, however, should recite it silently. If the imam forgets to recite it, the follower must do so nonetheless. Um, the latecomer to a congregation recites it after making up their misraka. Okay. These takbirs are to say the following. We said that. وَهُوَ أَنْ يَقُولَ اللَّهُ أَكْبَرُ اللَّهُ أَكْبَرُ لَا إِلَهَ إِنَّ اللَّهُ اللَّهُ أَكْبَرُ اللَّهُ أَكْبَرُ وَلِلَّهِ الْحَمْدُ that's the most basic. Two two. We used to have one Yazid, Allahu Akbar, Kabira, one Hamdulillahi Kathira, was Subhanallahi Bukratan Walsila, La ilaha in Allahu Wahda, Sadaka Wahda, Wanasara Abda, Waza Junda, who has a man Ahzaba Wahda, La ilaha in Allah, Walla Nabudu in La Ia, Muhlisina, Lahudina, Walla Kari Hanka, Firun, Allahumma Sunni Ala Muhammad, Walla Ali Muhammad. وَعَلَىٰ أَصْحَابِ مُحَمَّدٍ وَعَلَىٰ أَزْوَاجِ مُحَمَّدٍ وَعَلَىٰ ذُرِّيَةِ مُحَمَّدٍ وَسَلِّمْ تَسْلِيمًا كَثِيرًا وَالتَّشَبُّهُمْ بِالْوَاقِفِينَ بِعَرَفَاتٍ لَيْسَ بِشَيْءٍ Okay, so he says the following. It is recommended 
The takbirs are to say Allah is the greatest, Allah is the greatest, there is no deity except Allah. Indeed Allah is the greatest, Allah is the greatest, for Allah is all praise. It is recommended to add Allah is indeed the greatest, much praise is for Him, glory be to Him, with much praise, morning and evening. There is no deity except Him alone. He fulfilled His promise, gave victory to His servant, strengthened His soldiers, and He alone defeated the confederates. There is no deity except Him. We worship none but Him, practicing the religion solely for His sake, even if the disbelievers hate it. O Allah, send blessings upon our Master Muhammad, and upon the family of our Master Muhammad, and upon the companions of our Master Muhammad, and upon the wives of our Master Muhammad, and send abundant peace on them all. Imitating the pilgrim standing on the day of Arafah is not an act of worship. It's not so like sitting in your house and standing uh, uh, and like all of those kind of things. Pretending like you're in Arafah, he says, is not. hence it should not be performed as it is not from the Sunnah, but rather an innovation in religion and is therefore deemed prohibitively disliked. Prohibitively dislike to do so. Okay. So that's the section on Eid, the two Eid prayers. We're going to read the section on Janaiz. Inshallah, may Allah protect us and our families. Um, because it's kind of relevant right now. However, again, like when uh, something is afflicting the generality of the Muslims and there are specific circumstances to be dealt with, it's not always that you need to get the fatwa from your madhab. So like the North American Fiqh Council has put out a statement on things to do uh, in situations like the ones that we're in right now As has Amja And those are legitimate positions They should be read and looked at They talk about for example Like what to do if They don't let you wash the body uh, What to do if you can't even make Tayyamam on the body um, Then you know How do you proceed Um so, inshallah, you can look at that on your own time. Bismillah. Salat al-Janaz. Bab al-Janaz. Sorry. Yusannu tawjihu al-muhtadari lin-qiblati ala yaminihi wa mustanqiyan wa yurfa'u ra'suhu bishay' ويذكر عنده الشهادة لينتقى بها وهذا هو التنقين وبعد دفنه يلقن أيضا سبحان الله فإذا مات الشد لحياه وغمص وغمض عيناه ويقول مغمضه بسم الله وعلى ملة رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم يسر عليه أمره وسهل عليه ما بعده وأسعده بلقائك وجعل ما خرج إليه خيرا 
مما خرج عنه ثم يستر عورته فيجرد ويوضأ بلا مضمضة ولا استنشاق ويغسل بالماء والصدر ونحوه إن تيسر ويغسل لحيته وشعره بالخطم والصابون يمينا ثم يسارا ثم يجلس ويمسح بطنه رفيقا ثم يصب عليه يمينا ثم يسارا بالماء خالص ثم ينشف بثوب ولا يسرح شعره ولا يقص ظفره وتجمر الأكفان وترا وتبسط ويجعل الحنوط على رأسه ولحيته والكافور على مساجده So, Bismillah The funeral prayer and burial It is sunnah to direct the person on his deathbed toward the qibla such that he faces it while on his right side so you put them on, they lay on their right side, they're facing the Qibla. It is permissible, however, to do so while the person is laying on their back with their feet towards the Qibla, and then you put something under their head, maybe a pillow or something. So then their head is facing the Qibla because of what you put under their head. He says in the footnote, this is, that is as long as it is not difficult for him, otherwise he is left alone in whichever position he is in, or placed in the position that is least cumbersome for him. Meaning this is a good thing to do, but like don't hurt the person who's dying because of that. You know, that's uh, that would that would be taking it too far. Then the Shahada should be recited in his presence so that he may pronounce it. This is referred to as Tanqeen and it is also performed after his burial. In the footnote, tanqeen of the person on his deathbed is recommended so that his final words before death are La ilaha illallah. He should not be commanded to recite it. Rather, it should merely be recited in his presence and in a gentle manner as he is already in a difficult state. As to its performance for the deceased after burial, there is a difference of opinion among the Hanafi scholars. The author maintains that it is legislated and should therefore be performed. Um, at the very least, if done by some, it should not be denounced by others, as there is benefit in it for the deceased. So the first case is the person has not died yet, you're in their presence at the time of their death. And uh, the person then who's in their presence at the time of the death, they um, softly mention the shahada, la ilaha they don't command the person to say it and they don't do it in an obnoxious way. Because why? Because the person is already going through a lot. And you don't want to push it more and more and more to the point that maybe they rebel and they say like, no, I'm not going to say that right now. I'm in pain. Leave me alone. Something like that. And then they die right afterwards. So don't be obnoxious about it. Uh, you're trying to remind them. And that's the goal. If, if that's not going to work, then even that can be left. Um, the second part of it, he says, is to um, do so after the burial. After the burial. So we put the person in the ground. After we put the person in the ground, we begin to talk to them. And we tell them, oh, so-and-so, remember your dean. 
Remember your covenant with Allah. When the angel comes to you and asks you what is your who is your Lord, say Allah. When the angel comes and asks you what is your way, say Islam. When the angel comes and asks you, so you start talking to them and reminding them. It's a position among many of the ulama that the people of the grave can hear those who are living around them. And so uh, giving them such a reminder can be a source of benefit for them. Allah uh, and then uh, in the footnote he mentions, as, as I said, that there's a debate in the school about this. Um, but as, in, as is necessary in such things where there is a debate, if some people do it, alhamdulillah. If others don't do it, alhamdulillah. It's not a big deal. Um, let me just get up real quick and grab the charger for the computer because uh, the battery is getting low. Okay, next the person's aura should be covered. Next the person's aura should be covered. The rest of his clothes are then removed and he is given wudu except for the rinsing of the mouth and the nose. Then the entire body will be washed, a ghusl of ideally three complete washes to fulfill the sunnah, with water and if possible lotus tree leaves or the like, otherwise warm water alone suffices. Before the ghusl, however, his beard and hair are washed with mallow leaves, khutmi, or any type of soap. Next, when, washing, when actually performing the ghusl, the body is washed from its right side first, followed by the left, uh, thus comprising the first two washes. Uh, the author mentions in his imdad, the body is first placed on its left side for the first complete wash. 
which starts on the right side of the body and ends on the left side. It is then placed on the right side for the second watch, wash, which starts on the left side of the body and ends on the right side. Okay, he is then made to sit up, his, and his abdomen is gently wiped to remove any of its contents. Thereafter, pure water is poured over his body for the third and final wash of the ghusl. Um, after which, uh, where did I go? Thereafter, pure water is poured over his body for the final wash. In the footnote, he says, "What is meant? What is meant is that the body is laid on its left side for the third and final complete wash. So, on each of the sides, the whole body is still being washed. So, the third wash." do it from the right side um, the body is then dried with a cloth his hair should not be combed and his nails should not be trimmed the funeral shroud should be performed perfumed with incense an odd number of times and then wrapped around the body a mixture of fragrant substances is placed on his hair and beard and camphor on his feet knees hands forehead and nose the places where the person makes sujood um, so as to honor them Honor those places The man's funeral shrouds according to the sunnah Consist of a long shirt An inner shroud And an outer shroud mm-hmm. All preferably taken From the quality or standard That which he would wear in his life For the Friday or Eid prayers Shrouds made from white cotton are most preferred Oh we didn't read this in the Arabic Um Both the inner and outer shouts should cover the body from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet. The long shirt should not have any sleeves, gore, or opening at the neck, and its end should not be hemmed. So we're going to read the footnotes on these. <coughs> uh, so the long shirt should be from the base of the neck to the bottom of the feet okay this is like the first wrapping second wrapping is um, but this long shirt it can it is sufficient to have only space for the head to get through instead of making an extended slit down the further so basically you just have enough space for the head to go through and then it covers the body it has a lower garment and then a longer upper one and then another one that covers the whole body it is disliked to place a turban on the head of the deceased. Hmm. Subhanallah. No comment on that, huh? وَكَفْنُ الْسُنَّةِ لِلْرَجُلِ قَمِيسٌ وَإِزَارٌ وَلُفَافَةٌ مِمَّا كَانَ يَلْبَسُهُ فِي حَيَاتِهِ وَالْأَفْضَلُ الْقُطُنُ الْأَبْيَضُ وَكُلٌ مِنَ الْإِزَارِ وَالْلُفَافَةِ مِنَ الْقَرْنِ إِلَى الْقَدَمِ وَلَا يُجَعَلُ لِقَمِيسِهِ كُمْ ولا دخريص ولا جيب ولا تكف أطرافه وتكره الإمامة ولف من ولف ولف من يساره ثم يمينه ثم يعقد إن خيف انتشاره وكفن الكفاية إزارة ولفافة so uh, the shroud is then it's disliked to place a, pers- a turban on the head of the person 
The inner shroud is wrapped first from the left side, then from the right side. Inner shroud is wrapped first from the left side, then from the right side. Uh, if it is feared that the shrouds will open up, they should be tied. So at least like where we live, generally that's what they do. They, they wrap the body and then the outer shroud is tied with its own piece of cloth. Um, like it has a, a little tie that's tied around the end of it to keep it closed. And then when we put the body in the grave, they'll untie that part and just leave it there. The inner and outer shrouds alone are sufficient to fulfill the obligation of a man. So basically, as long as they're covered, that obligation has been fulfilled. What to f and to fulfill the sunnah for a woman's shroud, وَتُزَادُ الْمَرْأَةُ فِي كَفْنِ السُنَّةِ خِمَارٍ لِوَجْهِهَا وَخِرْقَةً لِرَبْتِ ثَدْيَيْهَا وَفِي كَفْنِ الْكِفَايَةِ خِمَارٌ وَيُجْعَلُ شَعَرُهَا ضَفِيرَتَيْنِ عَلَى صَدْرِهَا فَوْقَ الْقَمِيسِ ثُمَّ الْخِمَارُ فَوْقَهُ تَحْتَ الْلُفَافَةِ ثُمَّ الْخِرْقَةُ فَوْقَهَا وَكَفْنُ الْضُرُورَةِ بِحَسْبِ مَا يُجَدْ So to fulfill the sunnah for a woman's shrouds, the face should also be wrapped in a head covering. So they put like a hijab, khimar, and cover the face. And her upper body should be tied with a separate cloth. For the minimal sufficient shroud uh, for a woman, the head covering is enough in addition to the two main shrouds. Her hair is tied into two braids, which are placed on her chest above the long shirt. Then the head covering above it, yet underneath the outer shroud. And lastly, the extra cloth for her upper body over the outer shroud. Um, so he says in the footnote for that one. Um, the ideal way to shroud the man is to spread the outer shroud and then the inner shroud above it. The long shirt is then laid on top with the upper flap of it rolled up. The body is placed on top of this arrangement and first wrapped in the long shirt. Then the inner shroud is wrapped around the body, left side first, so the right side is on top. Finally, the outer shroud is wrapped in the same manner, left side first. For the woman, the outer and inner shrouds are similarly spread, outer first, then inner above it. The long shirt is then laid on top with the upper flap of it rolled up. Her body is placed on top of this arrangement and then wrapped in the long shirt. Before the two shrouds, inner and outer, are wrapped around her, however, the khimar is placed over her head and face. Then both shrouds, inner and outer, are wrapped over the body, left side first, one at a time. Lastly, placed above the outer shroud is the last uh, piece of cloth that is used to tie her upper body, left side first. Okay. Some scholars, however, maintain that, that, that it is tied beneath the outer shroud. So there's some debate on that. The bare minimum shroud for either gender is based on whatever is available. Okay, so that's the last of that section. The bare minimum shroud for either gender is based on the minimum of what is available. Okay, so if you, if you don't have that, you make do with whatever it is that you have. Alright, so the next part is the actual funeral prayer 
and what is done in that. Uh, and I think that's a good place to stop for today, inshallah, and we can continue tomorrow. Uh, I know the questions are adding up. Inshallah, eventually we'll get to them. Um, although school, spring break is over now, so I have to really push to uh, to get them in, but inshallah I'll get them in instead of uh, doing my other random late night readings. Inshallah. <laughs>